Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Did you see that over 100 Columbia professors signed a letter defending the students who supported Hamas's, quote, military action. 100 professors from Columbia. Now, Columbia University is an Ivy League university. It's plunk right there in the middle of New York uh, in Morningside Heights, right around Harlem. And it is a vastly wealthy institution with a tremendous amount of prestige attached to its name. It also has a lot of Jewish students in it. And in fact, uh, there um, have been quite a number of complaints by Jewish students that they don't feel safe at Columbia and have been targeted at Columbia. But 100 professors, 100 professors signed on a letter supporting Hamas. So uh, one of the things to talk about here is, well, one of the things to talk about here is how is, how is that? How is that? Now, I do want to tell you that 200 other professors, and this isn't getting enough news, signed a letter in opposition to that letter. Uh, but nonetheless, 100 professors signing that letter. You know, I told you I was in the city last night, and I went to Carnegie Hall, and I went to this extraordinary gathering of, of greatly um, uh, people who have spent their life not only in service of their own faith, but in service of their own communities who are members of their faith, right? So you had Archbishop Dolan, you had a well-known imam, and you had a well-known rabbi. And so while these people come to their faith from a true uh, allegiance and loyalty to their own set of beliefs, they also have been spending their lives in service to and for other people who share those beliefs. They are leaders of their faith-based communities. And they, each of them, had no problem, no problem unequivocally condemning Hamas. But somehow it seems that in a lot of our universities, which have deemed themselves and which we have given the honor, the covid, the kavo, the honor of entrusting with our children's education 
and then taking these tickets, these degrees, these tickets, and placing people who have graduated from these institutes of higher learning in our most elite positions of power and influence in our country, in government, in corporate life, in entrepreneurial life, in academic life, these degrees have become tickets, and that's why they are so coveted, and that's why we saw that Varsity Blues scandal of parents who ultimately, some of them going to jail because they lied and, and, and had their children impersonate people and accomplishments that they never even were or accomplished themselves. And there has been this clamoring to get to these elite institutions with a ferocity of competitiveness that's off the scales. And you and I have spoken about this in suburban America for many, many years. And the reason that people have been so ferocious and competitive in trying to get into these institutions is because at the end of it, they get a degree, and I call it a ticket. And it's a ticket. And it doesn't mean that you don't have to work hard the rest of your life, but you know what it does mean? It means when you hold this ticket that everybody assumes you're smart. And assuming that you're smart gets you a lot in life. You get the benefit of the doubt, the presumption that you're smart, the presumption that what you have to say is backed by reason or science or credentials or intelligence, right? The ticket, the ticket. And sometimes that ticket is a ticket to higher education as well, to a better law school, to a medical school, to a dental school, to an engineering program, right? You get that undergraduate ticket, it allows you to take a higher ticket. And you take that credential and you take it to a would-be employer and you get a higher paying job, a higher quality job. And you keep going with that ticket, that ticket, that ticket. And I will tell you that there is a moment of reckoning in this country right now, not only among Jewish people, among many non-Jewish people. And we are looking at ourselves and we are shaking our heads and we're saying, that's what we're supposed to pay $200,000 for? over the course of a four-year education with room board intuition, that's what we've been saving for and scrimping for? That's what we have tooth and nail driven our kids nuts about? To go to that institution to get that degree from those professors? What are we doing? Who are they? Who are we? This day of reckoning is a long time coming. Let me, let me read to you about this. More than 100 commun- uh, Columbia University professors signed a letter Monday. What's today, Wednesday? Defending students who supported Hamas's military action in Israel on October 7th and calling on administrators to protect those students from disturbing reverberations on the Manhattan campus. As top donors vowed to stop giving money to the university amid a swell of pro-Palestinian demonstrations, professors demanded that the administration protect demonstrators from doxing efforts from trucks dubbing them, quote, Colombia's leading anti-Semites, and halt its educational outposts in Israel. There it is. Shut down the educational outpost in Israel because Israel is an illegitimate state. There it is. Right there right there. The Ivy League staffers also demanded that the administration, quote, cease issuing statements that favor the suffering and death of Israelis or Jews over the suffering and deaths of Palestinians. And they say, in our view, the student statement aims to recontextualize, big word, the events of October 7th, pointing out that military operations and state violence did not begin that day, but rather it represented a military response 
Hamas now representing a military response. Is that the way military behaves? Did you see the way the Hamas people behave when they killed 1,400 Jews that day, Israelis and Jews, and took hostages of people across the border? Does anybody think by any Hague Convention, Geneva Convention, regular military, that that's a military response? Apparently some people do. They're wrong. That is not a military response. What happened on October 7th was a terrorist attack. A military response is fortunately, unfortunately, however you see this, whether you see it as the right amount, too much amount, less amount, the military response is the IDF as the state of Israel to the terrorist attack. But Hamas's terrorist attack is deemed a military response by the students. I'm not, pardon me, by the professors and the students. This is what they say, the professors. It represented a military response by people who had endured crushing and unrelenting state violence from an occupying power over many years. The professors wrote in the letter on Monday that the students believe peace and safety will remain elusive unless, quote, the illegal occupation of Palestinian territory ends and accountability for that illegal occupation is achieved. And listen, there's a lot of conversation, and there will be for a very long time, about the word occupation, about the right of Israel to have safe borders, about the Gazan people's very, very unfortunate uh, situation that many of them find themselves in if they do not agree with the ruling Hamas terrorists because they elected Hamas in 2007 and they elected this organization. And some of the people agree with this philosophy of terror, and I'm sure that a lot of people don't. And so you become a victim to the government that you have no choice but to live by in your midst unless you are a human being that can collect enough whatever it is to overthrow that government. And that is a very unfortunate actual dilemma of many Gazan people. And I know that many Israelis will see that and agree with it and know that to be true. But that is, and that's a real thing. But that doesn't justify what Hamas did, and it doesn't, it doesn't, for, for people who are really thinking about this clearly, you don't recontextualize a terrorist attack in justification for a situation that has been caused by the very people that are the terrorists themselves. Billions and billions of dollars of humanitarian aid have gone to Gaza from many different peoples and organizations, including the United States of America and the UN and Israel since 2006, since Israel gave back the keys and said, we don't want to be here anymore. And where has that humanitarian aid gone and how has it helped the Gazan people towards a better life and a better standard of living? The money, the goods, have been hijacked quite literally by the Hamas leadership to build themselves 300 miles of tunnels that are very, very sophisticated underground to keep themselves armed with missile after missile after missile, rocket after rocket after rocket. And it has not improved the standard of living for the people that are above ground. It has not. Has that become Israel's problem? Of course it's become Israel's problem because it's a next-door neighbor that wants to kill them. 
but is it fundamentally the problem of the people who live there and the people who profess to care about the people who live there? Yes, it is fundamentally their problem. I want to ask you a question. Given all of this, do you think this is a kerfluffle? I'm talking now about what's happening in our college campuses, the anti-Semitism, the taking of sides, the finding out about some of the things they're teaching. What do you think? Do you think that this is going to be sort of a lasting ding on some of these most elite institutions, some of our Ivy Leagues, all of our Ivy Leagues? Or do you think that it is a momentary news cycle and it will pass and in the end people are still going to clamor to get in the so-called best schools? In other words, do you think that this is going to, to really make their reputation suffer, number one? Do you think that you would think twice about sending your kids to these schools? I would really like to know that. Or in the end, will you just close your eyes and hope they get in anyway? And by being there, somehow be impervious to this or just gut it out or go there because they are going to get that elite Ivy League ticket and that's going to serve them well in America. What, what do you think, if any, would be the fallout on you as a parent, as a grandparent here? Are you likely to give less money to these institutions? Does that mean anything to you? Do you applaud what they're doing? Do you see a diversity uh, of, of thought on these campuses that makes you cheer, that makes you feel happy that there's academic freedom and that professors are standing up to people? I mean, I really would like to know from you, because I have told you how I see it. You know, I see it the way I see it. But I'm curious to know, whether or not you think at 203-333-9422 that all of this news and conversation is going to have any impact whatsoever on the prestige, on the demand, uh, on, the, on the education itself. Do you think that there'll be a reckoning? Do you think that there'll be a shakeout? You know, one of the things that... Uh, Dr. Tabia Lee told us that stayed with me when I asked her, where was a lot of this coming from? These words about intersectionality and colonization and decolonization and the oppressed and the oppressor. She says that that's vocabulary coming out of ethnic and gender studies. Query, query, is there going to be more of a microscope on ethnic and gender studies or not? Or just do we just move forward and this is the way it is and we have to accept that this is the new way that kids are being educated and have been for the last 10 years. The chickens have come home to roost and we have to live with it. And it's a good thing. I'm curious to know what you think. Do you think that any of this conversation about how Cornell University had to shut down and make sure the kids couldn't eat kosher food on Monday and had to abandon the Institute of Jewish Living because of threats online, which, by the way, they arrested. They found the kid and they arrested him uh, for making these unbelievably awful, heinous threats and also, you know, threatening to shoot up the campus. I mean, this, this stuff is not in a vacuum. What, what did Taylor Swift say? Haters are going to hate, right? They hate. They hate. They're, they hate. So we all have to worry about haters. I've always said about anti-Semitism, I'm a student of history. Anti-Semitism is the canary in the coal mine. It's been around forever, but when it rears its ugly head, the, and what, what does the canary in the coal mine mean? They used to send a canary in a coal mine, and when the canary would drop dead, they knew that there was unseen carbon monoxide or carbon poisoning uh, fumes that were coming from the cave that the people couldn't see until it was too late. But the canary was uniquely susceptible 
the canary was uniquely vulnerable. And when the canary would die, the miners would know not to go into the cave. That's what the canary in the coal mine means. Anti-Semitism is the canary in the coal mine. It's very often a symptom. It's very often the first sign of a society in decline, of a society that um, scapegoats a particular people, throws them out, exiles them, persecutes them, whatever you want to call. And then you start to see the unraveling of the rest of society. Most recent times, we can see it in Venezuela. In Venezuela, the Jews were the first people that had to leave. Uh, Some of them were rich, and they had been able to prosper in Venezuela, and so they were scapegoated. Not all of them were rich, but some of them were. Many of them were in the professional class, lawyers and doctors, dentists, engineers, and they had to leave. And you saw what happened to Venezuela, right? Taken over by communists, first Chavez, then the other guy whose name I'm forgetting. Uh, and, uh, And now Venezuela is, you know, Now we're getting hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands, estimated a half a million Venezuelans in last year alone, clamoring to come to this country because they can't live in their country. There's no food. There's no sanitation. There's only crime. The country is in chaos, anarchy, Venezuela, which at one time was a pretty amazing place to be. Not perfect. No society's perfect. And they did have rich and they did have poor. But... A lot better than it is today. Canary in the coal mine. 400% rise in anti-Semitic incidents this year over last. And last year was the highest historic in many, many, many years. So what does that tell you? And, and, and I want to know, just as a very practical matter, we've been talking a lot about college campuses. We've been talking a lot about what's going on in college campuses, the student eruptions and what's happening teachers down. Is that going to change your mind as a parent or grandparent when it comes to sending your kid to any of these schools? You think it's going to have any lasting impact over our very, very elite ivory towers? Matt from Fairfield, what do you think? I do think there will be an impact, but this is a capitalist society, and people are going to send their kids to schools that they think are going to provide them the education. Um, but, you know, Lisa, I'm very disappointed in people that we consider to be educated and gifted because they're not exercising the gifts that they've been given. It takes only a little bit of common sense to do some research to be able to come up with some truthful positions. A friend of mine had to leave Egypt. He was a Coptic Coptic Catholic, Mm -hmm. and he had friends and relatives who lost body parts because they were persecuted as Catholics. I remember when they went after the churches there. I remember it very distinctly, Matt. He's 100% right. Mm -hmm. Now, I have some close friends that are Lebanese. They're from Lebanon. They Mm -hmm. have property there. They have relatives there. Mm -hmm. And they gave me a perspective. They said, Matt, the Hezbollah is basically the state mafia in Lebanon. I know. The police and the military do not have authority over Hezbollah. They are a cancer in our country. And he said the same thing with Hamas in Palestine. Mm -hmm. And he said they, as Lebanese, would rather a war take place to get rid of Hezbollah and suffer the consequence of of, of civilians being lost and come up on the other side of free nation. And he said, I'm sure the people in Palestine feel the same way. 
That's an interesting way of looking at it. In other words, Israel becomes a useful tool to sacrifice its people to rout out Hamas so that in the end, Hamas will be gone in a way they're doing those people a favor. I hear you. Right. I hear there you. Would, there would be Israelis lost in the conflict. There would be civilian Lebanese lost in the conflict. But the, these, these people I'm speaking to say they would rather having to suffer that war and come up on the other side of free people than continue with the cancer of Hezbollah in their, in their country. And the same thing of Palestine. You know, that's a really interesting point of view, Matt, and I had not seen that or heard that, and I appreciate your friends being so candid about it. You know, Lebanon, the Beirut of many, many, many years ago, was was the Garden of Eden of the entire Middle East. It has some of the most beautiful geography, right? It's beautiful, the hills, the cedar hills of Lebanon. And between the Christians, the Muslims, the Druze— and the Jews, some of them actually lived in Lebanon too, but many Christians and, and many uh, Muslims lived together side by side with the Jewish people. Yeah. It was considered to be a peaceful haven of peace-loving people for many, mm-hmm. many generations. But then Hezbollah did take over. Hezbollah took over. I know. And they are funded directly by Iran. So there's your axis well, of evil right there. There it is. And there's another thing he said to me. He said, Matt. People that I know over there told me many of the invaders that came and in, went into Gaza speak Farsi. I heard Farsi that. Is the language of Iran. I know that. And I one of that, you know, Mike, I, I'm at, I don't know how often you listen to the show, but one of the guests on our show was Zahavid, who was, who was my family friend there, who was very, very dear to me. She spends every summer here with me. And she texted me two weeks ago, Lisa, Lisa, the Hamas terrorist was speaking Farsi. They exactly. know in Israel. They know their enemy. They know. Now, now these, these intelligent people that are taking these warped positions, history, uh, again, speaking to this gentleman, it used to be the PLO in Gaza. And he said, and the PLO was approaching a position where they were negotiable with the Israelis, and they weren't pursuing death to all Jews. But Hamas, decided they did not like that. They wanted to go back to the Constitution of all Jews need to die, and the PLO doesn't exist anymore. I know. They threw them out. What happened was Mahmoud Abbas, who runs the West Bank of the Palestinian Authority, they call it, he had originally been in Gaza, and uh, they threw him out. They had war. Do you know that it is documented that Hamas threw the Palestinian Authority officials from the top floor of their buildings in Gaza to kill them, push them there off the top floor. They, this is very well known to people in the Middle East. This is very well yep. known to Israelis. Right. But we don't know that here in the States. Maybe that, not. You know, people that should be expected to use their gifted intelligence don't ask questions. They fall in line. And that is disgusting and it's embarrassing and it's it's just so sad. You know, Matt, and this is why on this show sometimes I I wrestle with myself. How much history should I be teaching? How much shall I assume our audience knows? And I, you know, I never want to be condescending to people. I never want to be talking down to people. But sometimes I feel like it is it is important to keep talking about history that I shouldn't assume that people know that which I know. No, it, it is important, but... Part of my point was I reached out to a couple people that I have the the favor of knowing and asked questions, and I learned, and I didn't have to go get a master's degree to do Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. 
I get it. And it's nice for you to have those friendships. It really is beautiful. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, that Lebanese family, Mm -hmm. their their only son is with the 10th Mountain Division. Is with the what? uh, Is with the what? He's in the Army with the 10th Mountain Division. I don't know what Uh, that is. 10th Mountain is U.S. Army. Okay. At uh, at Fort Drum in New York State. Okay. And and he's recently uh, promoted to uh, first lieutenant. Good for him. And 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 uh, he was given a platoon, and they're told to be ready. I got it. Yeah. So. Well, well, you know, we, we could talk about, I mean, if anyone's been paying attention to the newspapers, the uh, one of the reasons that Israel was told by American friends to slow down on the ground invasion was because the United States was very worried about its vulnerability in military bases around that region and needed some time to protect itself. And that's what they've done. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I speak to this young man and he says to me that, you know, because, again, his roots are, are in Lebanon, and they're very familiar with Northeast comings and goings. And he says, Israel is very capable of handling what's going on. Yes, they are. And, they, um, and they're going to. Yeah. And so, they are. Um, yep. Well, God bless, God bless you. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for the call. Really appreciate it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com.